Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler, Steve Russell, as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Hey, this is Steve Russell. Welcome to our show, Christian Living That Counts. Our listeners are people who are living in a broken world, but they have renewed Christian lives and they're trying to make a difference. We're excited today's program. We've got a friend on that I'll be interviewing shortly and just want to give you a little bit of an introduction in this Christian living that counts. We talked about a number of things. We've talked about what Christians should do with politics. We've talked about what they would uh, do with their time and their resources. And today we're going to hone in on one of those particularly. I have a financial expert with me and I'll call him that. He may not, but uh, I, that way I, he doesn't have to be humble. I'll give him all the buildup he needs. But he's been a friend for uh, over 35 years, and I'm delighted to have David Taylor on the show. But uh, before he comes on, before we uh, open <clears throat> questions up for him, I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about what the Bible says, and I'm going to be very brief because one of the, the subjects of the Bible that is very thoroughly treated is money and, and financial resources. And uh, the odd thing, though, is that there are a number of different verses that might even seem to conflict. Um, and especially in the Old Testament, we hear and, and read that uh, the blessings of the Lord often come in the abundance of things that people are given. But by the time we get over into the New Testament, all of a sudden the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And so it's almost changed places. So uh, there, 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 just, there are hundreds of scriptures that address how Christians are supposed to live and use the resources, especially the financial resources that they have. I think one of the, the most important passages that occurs in the Bible, though, uh, is, is very telling if we're willing to, to look at it for what it is and, and exactly for uh, the words with clarity uh, that, it, that it says and what it expresses. And it's simply this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the, we go back to the, the idea of the scripture verse about uh, the love of money being the root of all sorts of evil. I know many people who are glad, they sort of excuse themselves. There's, a, there's this warning and yet there's a loophole. Um, and many people walk through that leap, loophole uh, to their own demise. Uh, it's easy to love money. I, I, in my lifetime, uh, I've had money, and I've done without it. And I can promise you it's a lot easier to do with it than without it. Uh, it just uh, greases the skids. Uh, it makes life easier uh, when you don't have to worry about where things are coming from, the kind of payments you're going to have to make. But at the same time, we're not to let money in itself and of itself become our treasure because that's where our heart will lie. And we will find ourselves uh, somewhat like the, uh, the Ebenezer Scrooge model where uh, we get some, we just want more, and then we want more, and we want more, and we have an insatiable appetite for it. So the Bible, again, uh, has a treasure in an entirely different place, and that is our relationship to Jesus Christ. But in this world, we're going to be dealing with money. Christians, as well as uh, those who are not of the faith, but Christians uh, have a responsibility and a stewardship with the things that God entrusts them. So 
I'm going to invite my friend David Taylor to the mic. And uh, David is a financial planner and a CPA. I've known him now for 35, 40 years. Uh, we go back a long, long time in our careers together. I've had an insurance license for uh, 34 years. And about the time I was getting my license, David was taking up residence and uh, business activities in Corsicana, Texas. Uh, about uh, 60 miles south of Dallas on I-45, and he and his wife and family have grown there, and we've watched our children grow up together, and I've watched David's uh, practice uh, grow, and um, I know of no one that I would recommend above him uh, if people needed financial advice. So I'm tickled to have David in the studio, and, and again, this is not just a, an expert, but it's a good friend, and glad to have him here. So David, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate uh, appreciate those kind words, and you're right. We we go back a long, long way, so I appreciate you uh, even inviting me here. Uh, it's my my pleasure to be here. Good. Well, I, I'm I'm just tickled. To, it's always neat to 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 have a person who really knows what they're talking about. But it's even better when it's a friend. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're here, and and um, we'll talk later over lunch about the family and the kids and that sort of thing. Uh, David wrote a book, and that's the, the one of the themes we want to really get down into a specific area today. David wrote a book a, a year or so ago uh, and has uh, handed it out, marketed it in different ways, but he saw a need for it, and it was called uh, it is called the Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. And I'm going to say more about that title in just a minute, but um, when David wrote this, he gave you a little bit of backstory to it and how it came to be, and uh, that's one of the first things I want him to share with you is what caused him to write the Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide and um, uh, let you in on some of those things, what he saw in his practice as a financial planner, what he experienced as as, uh, as both the father of a family and the son of elderly and uh, parents of parents who grew elderly, and, and he watched that unfold. And he's also, of course, uh, in consultation with a number of other people in his field. So, David, the very first obvious question is why a book called A Comprehensive Widow Survival Guide? There's a couple of reasons that I wrote the book, Stephen. You mentioned earlier money and finances, which is really what the my practice has focused on all these years. And, in fact, I wrote um, uh, a course called Christian Money Management, which is totally focused on uh, money, finances. The, the guide, though, kind of deviates from that somewhat. Um, there, the two major reasons I wrote it, one – is um, uh, I really wrote it for my mother and what I experienced um, with her um, going through widowhood. My dad contracted esophageal uh, cancer back in 1996. Uh, he was operated on at the Cancer Treatment Center, uh, which was in the one in Tulsa, and he spent three months in intensive care. And that uh, that ordeal um, was kind of devastating for our family. It was uh, traumatic. Yet he did recover from that surgery and uh, lived about another year. So that year allowed us to some time uh, to get things in order. And I think Dad did everything that he knew possible to, to make things easier for my mother. But, but still, there were some things that we discovered that uh, could have been done to make that transition easier. So um, after Dad died, Mother was still able to stay at home which was great. Uh, she, she went back to um, 
in southwest Oklahoma, the little town where we lived. And uh, I lived five and a half hours away in Corsicana. So it was difficult to get back um, as often as I probably needed to. My brother at that time was living with his family in the United Kingdom. So he was overseas. So when I would get uh, back to Altus, uh, where, where she lived, uh, she would usually have a list of things for me to do, and these were mother. Mother had arthritis, so her hands were arthritic, and she could not uh, do things that probably you and I take for granted. Things like changing a light bulb and fixing a leaky faucet, changing out a battery and a smoke alarm. And my dad always gassed the car up for her on on Saturday morning and uh, helped clean the house. So she'd have a whole list of these things for me to do. And the first time I came home, I'll never forget, I, I saw that list and I cried mm. I, because these were things that, you know, I did, I did day in and day out at my house, but there was no one there to do those things uh, for her. So one reason I wrote the book is to uh, help, hopefully, make it easier for other widows. And although the, the guide says widows on the cover, it's really for widowers, it's really for anyone that uh, has lost a loved a loved one, so uh, that was the one reason. Second reason is in in my practice, um, I have a partner named Brandy Harrison. She's um, a wonderful uh, younger lady. Um, I guess I'm getting old because my clients began to ask me, "What happens now if something happens to you? What hap- <laughs> What happens to my money and my accounts?" We have to write another book. I have to write, that's right. Read the book. So now I can say, "Oh, you just go see Brandy." So uh, she's been a wonderful uh, asset. But we really looked at our demographics of our practice, and we were a little surprised to, to discover that our number one demographic was widows. We serve more widows uh, than any other demographic. Secondly was retirees. But maybe that shouldn't have been so surprising because the average age of a widow is about 59 and a half years. And 70% of wives will outlive their husbands. And upon death, 80% of women are widows. So, uh, and that study was done by Protective Life, by the way. But uh, because of that, I put together a series of questions, and we began to have um, just five or six widows over for lunch. And we did this at my house. Uh, my wife, Dana, is an excellent cook, and so we would invite the widows over, and and we would um, we would have have them there and go over those questions so out of those questions and out of their answers and out of those luncheons was really the second reason that I wrote this book I figured I might be able to help but widows who have already gone through it would really be able to help people let me ask you a quick question about the demographics Um, do you think in your uh, profession uh, of financial uh, services of financial planning do you think that's a most, if they did the same study, would find that's a similar demographic for others in your field? I don't. Okay. I really don't. Uh, I think a lot of practices will focus on on um, various sectors. Some vo- focus on the medical industry. Um, some will focus on small business owners. Uh, I know of one practice that specifically focuses on entrepreneurs that are first-time business owners. So there's a number of different areas that a niche uh, can be developed. Uh, ours, I think, 
was developed simply because of the background that we had and, and widows would gravitate toward us. Okay. I'm going to ask you another question on that, on that note when we come back. Um, and stay with us. David Taylor is here in the studio, and we'll be back in just a moment. Christian Living That Counts. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Many Christians worry about how to share their faith. They even feel guilty about not sharing. Hi, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts on toginet.com. Christians sharing their faith feel awkward and bothersome sometimes. But my friend Bobby Bateman has a unique way to break the ice and open the door for a casual conversation. Join us soon for the interview with Bobby about his unique idea or learn more now at his website. It's personaltous.com. Once again, that website is itspersonaltous.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to Christian Living That Counts. This is your host, Steve Russell. We're in the studio with David Taylor, my friend for many, many years, and a financial planner and family family counselor in that area. I'm glad to have him and his expertise in the studio today. And we had just talked about the demographics. David had realized when he examined his practice that he had a number of widows. And then the second category was retirees. And the widows being the leading uh, number of his demographics, he wrote a book called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. So he was in the process of telling us um, uh, how that developed. And I wanted to follow up with one more question and ask David, um, I bet when he started his practice uh, 35 years ago, he probably didn't go after widows. Uh, that was something that just happened. David, kind of elaborate on, on how that how that developed. Well, it it didn't start out to be intentional for sure because right. I, when I first started, I knocked on doors uh, to meet people and tell them what I did, opening a practice um, uh, with stocks, bonds, securities, and so forth. So it was just something I think that, that evolved over the years. Um, because my mother was a, a widow, and this was 20 years ago about, um, I, I, get, I had a natural affinity uh, to want to help widows. And one thing that we did, uh, I did in our church, I'm a, I'm a deacon at our church, and I kind of watched how uh, our church ministered back home to my mother. And one thing that they did is they had, they had a, um, a widow's luncheon, around 
uh, Valentine's Day. Mm. And I thought, and it was really meaningful for her. And so I think widows have a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot to give, and sometimes they may be forgotten. So so we put together at our church a, a widow's luncheon at Valentine's. So uh, I headed that up for a number of years. So I think um, doing things like that and the little luncheons that we had at the house – just we just naturally our our practice just naturally gravitated toward widows, yeah. and uh, we care about them, and well, I want to help them. One of the things that is to your extreme credit, in my opinion, is the fact that you've been in Corsicana in practice for thirty five years. So uh, I think in your business, everyone wants someone who's stable and there, and you have proved that over three and a half decades in your business, and. Um, and I guess if you you start out uh, at the age we both are, about half what we were, what we are now, uh, <laughs> you're going to see widows naturally because you've seen family through their entire lives. Uh, and and I know at one time uh, you and I knew a group of people. We started talking about how their kids were going off to to college, and mm-hmm. and now that's during the next stage. So just the fact that you have served uh, in stability and in a reassuring way with your presence in that in that city for as long as you have, inevitably you're going to serve widows. Um, so uh, that's, that's much to your credit. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And one other thing that we, we saw is our clients who had older parents began to ask um, questions about, hey, you know, what should we do here with our parents? They're facing this situation, that situation. And we've seen enough of those situations that we began to help uh, parents of existing clients, and now, as, as you say, just being there and being stable and as aging uh, has occurred, we've been able to serve more and more. You were telling us about the uh, luncheons you were having at your home and uh, how you, and I think that's such a remarkable idea, first of all, that you put that personal touch on it, but in addition to that, that uh, you would have it in a very casual way where people would feel safe and free to share. They weren't being interviewed in the office, um, so I'm sure you got great results. But talk about some of the questions that you asked them uh, while while you had them there in your home about their needs. What, what did okay, you we I, we developed a, a series of 20 questions, and we gave them to the widows before they came. Uh, to the house, so they had an opportunity to think through them and put their thoughts down. So um, I was a great note taker. They were, wow, they're, they're, after I gathered all those notes up, I thought, I got to put this in a book. So that, so we did, but the questions included things like, well, what, what difficulties or problems did you have um, when you maybe went to the to, with registrations on bank accounts or credit unions or brokerage accounts? Um, what suggestions would you have in that regard uh, to other widows? Um, how, was, how was your friends and family notified of the death? Uh, did you make those calls? Did you have other people make those calls? Uh, did you notify the church? Were they helpful in that regard? And if the will, if you had a will and it was probated, what about that process? Uh, how long did it take? Was that stressful for you? Uh, when you went before the probate judge, uh, did you have any thoughts there as far as dealing, dealing with that? Social Security Administration, you have to notify them. Uh, what steps did you go through there? Um, is there anything about your finances that you wish you'd have been taught or maybe your husband had shared with you? Uh, be- before uh, before his death, 
And what about your financial records? How organized are they? What about contacts? Um, how have you taken care of that? Would you have preferred more help in that area? And then what were you most uncomfortable dealing with? You know, how, how could, how, what could you suggest there? Um, and what three things keep you up most at night? Um, did you keep a journal or a diary? You know, we're in an um, era of social media. Do you use email, uh, Twitter? Do you use um, uh, Facebook? Uh, are you utilizing those those services, which we just about have to if we want to keep in touch with our grandkids? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they know how to work those things. They do. <laughs> David, that, that reminds me, um, that last one, just to hit on it for a minute, um, I guess there's some vulnerability there, too, and some caution with social media. Widows who think they're okay out there can expose themselves inadvertently to some, some dangerous possibilities. Really, really can. And there's actually some pages in the book that, that address that, uh, not like identity theft, um, utilizing social media, some precautions that you can take. You don't want any sensitive information out there. Um, you don't want to put things out there like, oh, I'm going to be gone on a two-week vacation, really looking forward to being with my grandkids, because somebody can look at that and say, oh, there's a house that's unoccupied that we can uh, pray upon. And th- any time the words elderly widow uh, are mentioned, red flags ought to go up because it's a it's a, something that uh, con artists uh, look for and they prey upon. And my mother was... Um, uh, subject to that to some degree. Uh, she was the most caring Christian lady you'd ever want to meet, and she wanted to help everybody. So she developed dementia later on, and there was one uh, particular lady and family that kept coming to her and asking for money, and so we discovered that um, later on. Uh, through the checkbook, but she was taken advantage of. So, uh, and even home security, we were we were concerned about just her being living there by herself. So, there's a couple of uh, chapters in in the book that um, can really help uh, alleviate. You can't can't totally avoid it, but at least try to take some precautions there. That's while you're on that on that subject. You talked about a couple of chapters on on that note. I know uh, after you introduced the book to me, from time to time, I would share it with other people. And I would say it's a widow's survival guide. I forgot the word comprehensive. Uh, and then I realized how comprehensive it really is. Uh, you're a financial planner, but you've got a vast uh, uh, area that you cover beyond that based on these kinds of questions you asked. So before we get away from it very far, just we touched on the security issues and the identity theft and things like that. But just kind of give a little quick um, survey of all the things uh, or, or the major things that, that are touched on in the book. Uh, I know even funeral preparation, um, uh, you, you hit on those. And so kind of talk about that for, for just a little bit, give everybody an idea of how comprehensive this Widow Survival Guide is. It was designed to be extremely cons- comprehensive, and the first chapter in the book starts out saying uh, what to do and when to do it. So it literally starts out with um, your husband's death and what you need to do from that point forward, uh, who you need to notify, um, you know, the, the funeral home. You need to secure the decedent's personal property. Uh, from there, it goes on into uh, how to organize your records. There's 
there's a lot of information there just on that. One of the questions that we seem to get very often is, well, how long do I need to keep that? How long do I need to keep those bank statements? What about those credit card statements, my tax returns, your the brokerage statements, and all this stuff that I get from your office? Uh, how long do we should we really keep those? So, we the book outlines all of those documents, how long they need to be kept. Um, some need to be kept for a lifetime, uh, others do not. So uh, that the book mentions that. There's also something called a financial key that I spent a considerable amount of time putting together. There's two examples of that. And a financial key is simply a list of contacts and your um, maybe passwords, um, documents, where they located, um, account numbers. Everything is in that financial key. And just like any key, you don't want to leave – you don't leave your car keys out. You don't leave a key to your home out. And this – shouldn't be left out in the open, but it should be uh, accessible to your heirs, to your executor, to to someone where they know that they can go to that, and there you've got a whole list of your documents. I think one of the answers that the one of the widows gave is, wow, my husband had a roll-top desk, and there's stuff everywhere, and I can't, I have really tried to pull everything together that we owned and what the account numbers were and so forth. So I think that aspect of the book uh, is very helpful also. Um, Excellent. Excellent. It it is comprehensive. And one of the things I know that you dealt with, and I mentioned this a moment ago, you even have an example of how to write an obituary. Uh, And and that uh, that leads us in when we come back in just a moment, we're going to talk about some of the team members uh, that you might have people Uh, consult with uh, that you work with alongside that be other people who have input and expertise uh, besides what you're doing so we'll come back with that stay with us Christian Living the Counts your host Steve Russell back in a moment we'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living that Counts I want to tell you about the special underwriting sponsor of Christian Living that Counts This is show host Steve Russell to introduce you to the Prefort family of Mount Pleasant, Texas. Prefort Manufacturing was founded by the late Marvin Prefort, a born inventor who moved his growing business to the heart of cattle country in northeast Texas in 1962. Since then, Prefort Manufacturing has become the leader in the highest quality of farm, ranch, and rodeo equipment, employing over 800 people and shipping their products worldwide. Bill Prefort, Marvin's son, assumed the leadership of the company in 1988 after the unexpected passing of his father, Marvin. Today, under their dad's watchful eye, the third generation of Bill's sons, Eddie, Nate, and Travis are carrying on the family tradition and business, including the Christian faith that they quickly credit with much of their success and growth. I'm proud to call the Prefort's friends and appreciate their making the internet radio broadcast of Christian Living That Counts possible. Learn more about this dedicated Christian family and their outstanding business at prefert.com. That's P-R-I-E-F-E-R-T dot com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. 
After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. We're back, Christian Living That Counts. This is your host, Steve Russell. I have David Taylor, my friend and financial planner, here in the studio today. And um, he's talking about his book, The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Might want to tell you at this juncture, if you're interested in this book, we'd love to uh, send a copy out to you. If you'll contact me by email, steverussell.org at gmail.com. Uh, just send me an email about the widow's book, and if you get the title right, that's great. And if you get the word win in it, widow in it, I'll know what you're asking for. So um, we've got David here, and we were just about to talk about some of the people uh, besides your financial planner, uh, other people uh, that you will consult when you're doing some of this record-keeping, people such as accountants, uh, bankers, lawyers, uh, funeral directors, and other people. And, uh, David, if you would, just for a few minutes, talk a little bit about uh, people you, you, that are outside what you do that they might need to refer to and go see. Okay, of course, one of the first um, people that they're going to go to after a death is, is the funeral home, the funeral director, and visit with them. And it's been in my experience that those people are very knowledgeable and very, very helpful. Um, I would caution that when when you do that, if you've not made everything, um, put everything together in a prepaid plan and considered that, you're in a very emotional state and a very emotional time. So um, it's really it's really best to do that prior to being in that um, emotional state and grieving and have to make those decisions. Um, a lot of times you may end up spending more money than is really necessary or or that you would have had you had time to really think through that and if you had had, no, had known the wishes um, of of the person who died. So that's one thing. But your funeral director will be a, a great help. Uh, if you have a CPA or accountant, of course, at some point you're going to need to meet with them and talk to them. Uh, there, there are some things that need to be done immediately, and there's things that you can put off and should put off for quite a while until you have a chance, you and your family have had a chance to grieve thoroughly. Uh, one of those is probably the accountant. Another is the attorney. Uh, if you have wills or trusts, you're going to need to meet with the attorney, and before you meet with that attorney, you need to pull together a number of different documents. And there's a list, a checklist in the book of those documents that you need to, um, to pull together before you meet with them. Remember, attorneys charge by the hour. So if you have <laughs> the least time you can spend in front of them, the least time you'll be charged. And if you have all those documents pulled together, you're not going to meet with them. And he's going to say, okay, gather all this up, come back for a second meeting. 
Um, of course, your financial advisor, uh, I think, will be it'll be very important for you to meet with them. And at some point, try to defer most decisions, major life-changing decisions, for six months or maybe a year. Um, don't rush into anything. People grieve differently. Uh, some people um, want to stay busy, do things, uh, get this done. Uh, that was that was my situation after my dad died. I was the oldest son. I needed to keep everything together. I didn't cry. I didn't grieve for months because I was trying to stay busy. Uh, I worked long hours. I did everything to kind of keep my mind off of it. Um, but most or many people will grieve in their heart. So they'll want a support group. They'll want to be with family. They'll want to talk talk through things. Uh, so there's no right way or wrong way to grieve, and you need to figure out. Uh, it, d- just remember, your your however you choose to grieve. There's not a wrong way to do that, and you need to find help in doing that, whatever your case may be. Yeah, and, and in all all that list too, a uh, couple of others that come to mind. Um, you may find a, a counseling group or support group or um, a church. Uh, may play into that uh, as uh, a a group of people to hold you up in the Christian community. Um, But I I know you had a a story particularly about life insurance, and your insurance agent, of course, may be someone you encounter if you're counting on insurance to pay any uh, death, if the death claim is going to pay for things. So you might address insurance and support groups and things like that also. Okay, great. Um, First off, there's a whole chapter on life insurance, the different kinds of life insurance, how to file a claim, uh, and even uh, what you should do with those funds or some suggestions. However, my brother and I had taken out a life insurance policy on my dad. Uh, we paid the premium because we knew mother would need, uh, would need funds to support her, so life insurance was one way to uh, achieve that goal. But after Dad died, we filed the claim. Uh, I remember getting the check, and when I gave my mom the check for the life insurance proceeds, uh, the first thing that she told me to do, she said, David, go down, put put it in the bank, and then immediately go to the church and give 10%. And that made a huge impression on me because the this was early in the week. She didn't, she didn't want to wait till Sunday to take the check, the tithe check, to the church. So that's exactly what I did. Went to the bank, deposited it, turned around, wrote a check for the amount of the tithe, and went into the church office, visited with the church administrator, and gave him the check. And he took the check, very little emotion, thanks, didn't really seem to care. That also made an an impression on me because um, that's that's one thing I think – an advisor, a church, any support group has to show. You've got to show that you care about that widow. Uh, in fact, when a widow comes in my office, um, many times, well, one of the first things that I'll say is, well, how are you doing? And what's the standard response if you if you say, how are you doing? Fine. I'm fine. Just fine. Yep, just fine. So I'll say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And they'll look at me kind of funny but I'll say that means you're frightened, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. Now, I want you to know I really do care, and I want to know how you're really doing. How are you coping with this? What are you going through? 
So it kind of breaks the ice a little bit. And I'd like to take credit for coming up with that. But actually, I was in a, a uh, seminar or workshop with a lady named Amy Florian, a great lady. Uh, she lost her husband when she was 25. So she gave that story, so I've kind of adopted it. Um, well, I, I know from working in the funeral industry from time to time, too, when we always talked about when people say they're fine or or you ask someone how someone else is doing who's really suffered a loss, they'll say, well, they're just really holding up very well. And you, you kind of in the back of your mind, you're thinking that's, that's not normal. Normal right. is grief and going through that process. So I, I hear you very much. Uh, exactly. Also, at that first appointment or when they first come in, most of the time, uh, you know, they will cry. And I think a lot of, back to the advisors that deal with widows, a lot of times uh, advisors don't know what to say. They don't know what to do, and they're they're uncomfortable with that. We encourage the widows to cry. And I think, you know, tears are God's way of relieving stress. I think crying is healthy, uh, and I realize that more because I didn't for six months after my dad died. But we try to tell them, hey, only the strong cry. You are welcome to cry in this office at any time. And I'd also uh, tell anyone who's um, talking to anyone who's lost a loved one, encourage them to talk about it. And don't don't say, you know, we have a, a, a tendency not to address something for what it is. In other words, oh, I'm sorry for your loss or oh, he passed on, well, they died. It's okay to say that. And sometimes we'll use, we'll say, oh, that's to die for. And, you know, Bluebell ice cream's coming back on the market. That's (laughs) great. I have one lady that's so excited that it's coming back on the market. But, you know, Bluebell ice cream is not to die for. I'm not going to die for a bowl of Bluebell ice cream. But it's okay to address that. So a lot of times we'll say, hey, let's just talk through this. And at the end, we may do a little bit of a claim form on a life insurance on that first meeting, but many times we'll say, why don't we set another meeting? Let's come back and discuss business at a later date. Very good. David, you mentioned life insurance, and, and uh, of course, I've been in the business 34 years, and uh, one of the most important things about it, and, and um, I'm sure you've got this covered in the book, but just a couple of comments that might be helpful to the listeners. Talk about beneficiary designations for a minute. Oh, beneficiary designations are so important, and especially after any life change event, uh, but particularly with a death, you do need to look not only at life insurance beneficiaries, but annuity beneficiaries, beneficiaries that are listed on retirement plans such as IRAs and 401ks, because normally your spouse will be your primary beneficiary, and if you've lost the spouse, then it would drop to the contingent beneficiaries. So you need to to revisit that and be sure that you name both a primary and a contingent beneficiary. Uh, This is leading into estate planning. So if you're thinking of estate planning, you need to think down two generations. A lot of times you will move the children up to the primary beneficiary. But if you do that, something to think about is let's say you have two children and you name, name the son and the daughter as the primary beneficiaries, 50-50. What if one of those children predeceased the other? Do you want that child's share to go to the other sibling? Do you want it to go to that child's spouse? 
perhaps if they have children, do you want it to drop down to their children? So you need to think down to the second generation. But um, again, after the grieving process is done, that is one area. That's one of the first areas we addressed is, hey, let's let's update our beneficiaries and get those uh, designated the way you want to. Very important. Yeah, and and we know, too, that sometimes the beneficiaries we put down when we apply for a life insurance policy, some of them predecease us. And uh-huh. and so that changes the, the landscape entirely. So just being on top of that and realizing those can be changed is, is very, very important. Right. We're going to come – go ahead. Oh, one, one quick thing. Sure. Also be careful of naming minors mm-hmm. as beneficiaries. A minor cannot inherit, so it needs to be put in trust for their benefit until they reach majority. Very good. We've got David Taylor in studio. When we come back in just a moment for the final segment, we'll let him uh, talk about this leading into an estate plan and and, uh, close out with that. Stay with us. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Hey, friends, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. I want to introduce you to my friend David Taylor. He's celebrating his 35th anniversary as a financial advisor. David is a CPA and has recently written a book to answer the need of so many ladies who came to his office after the passing of their husbands. Often they knew nothing of their financial details or status. David's book is called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Be listening for my interview with David soon and learn how you can get your copy of The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to our final segment of Christian Living That Counts today. We're in the studio with my friend David Taylor, financial planner, and we had just uh, opened discussion up and led into talking about through beneficiary designations. We had moved on to the subject of estate planning, and I wanted uh, David to make a few comments about that. So, David, kind of pick us up where we left there, uh, left off there and take us into estate planning. Okay, great. Love to. The longest chapter in the book is actually on estate planning, wills, trust, and ancillary documents. And the reason I spent so much time uh, and effort putting that chapter together uh, for people is because I'd say for the first um, 15, 16 years of my practice, I kind of prided myself of going in the office, taking care of everybody else's business. And then when I wrote the Christian Money Management course, one verse of Scripture that really jumped out and grabbed me was 1 Timothy 5.8, which says, If anyone provideth not for his own, and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, which is an unbeliever. 
Well, I, I, I didn't want to remain an infidel any longer. <laughs> so, uh, so I focused on getting my personal estate in order. And one thing I discovered is uh, we have four children and two older daughters and then, uh, then a son about nine years later and then another nine years we have a, uh, a daughter. Well, I'd left a couple of the kids out <laughs> of the estate plan. So I think it's very important. In fact, uh, I believe the estate plan ought to be put together before the financial plan. What good does it do to work all your life, accumulate assets, put them together, and then you don't have a godly distribution for that plan? I think that's reversed. About a third of our business, or not business, but time is spent on estate planning. We're not compensated a dime for that. But I think that's so important that we don't jump in and do an estate planning where I'm compensated, an estate plan, sorry, financial plan where we're compensated before a person has an estate plan in place. I think it's very important. Over the last 35 years, we've dealt with um, really hundreds of estates and I can't tell you that we've seen everything, every mistake that's been made, but we've seen most of them. So I think we're in a good position to help uh, avoid some of those pitfalls that that people can make. So that whole chapter will talk about uh, the requirements of a will, what makes it legal, the probate process, what you have to go through. Um, most people are uncomfortable hiring an attorney and going before a judge. Uh, most attorneys will tell you that Texas is an easy state to go through probate. I absolutely agree with that, and, and we're fortunate to live uh, in Texas where that where that is the case. But um, other documents, in addition to a will or a trust, are especially important, uh, especially for a surviving spouse. Uh, one of those is a statutory durable power of attorney. Without that, with the power of attorney, you're assigning the right to someone to handle your financial matters if you're disabled. If that's not in place, you've got to go before a judge and you have a disability probate and the, the, the judge will appoint someone to handle your financial affairs. You need to make that decision instead of a judge. Right. Uh, medical power of attorney, extremely important. Also, you need to assign someone to make a health care decision for you. A directive to physician or sometimes called a living will, is where you decide whether or not you wish to remain on life support. That, that takes that burden off of your heirs if they know what your wishes are. So all those things, I think, are very, uh, very important to have. We spend a lot of time and effort uh, discussing living trusts with our clients. Uh, we, we believe that many of our clients um, can benefit from a living trust. So uh, what a living trust does, it accomplishes several things. Major thing is it, if you get every, all your assets titled in the name of the trust, it will avoid probate. So you would not have – your heirs would not have that expense. But Anything that's titled won't go through probate. That, if it's titled in the name of the trust. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. Otherwise, probate is the process of transferring legal title to your heirs. Right. So you're doing, you're doing everything before death that your heirs would have to do after death. Um, had an interesting um, meeting yesterday with a, with a client, his wife, and uh, the son, who I'd never met, but the son was the instigator of that meeting. Uh, he said, I want to make sure we have everything in order so 
it's easier on us, us being him, him and his uh, sister. Mm-hmm. So that conversation, I, that's that's that Perfect. really gratifies me. I, yeah. I, that was great for him to come in and want to make sure that his parents' estate was in order. So we we see that from time to time also. I don't think we've said this, but um, again referred back to some time that I've spent uh, in the funeral industry, we also know that it, it resolves a lot of conflicts, and, and there's no reason to, to, bring, to assume that, that co- those people that came to see you yesterday had conflicts, but it staves off those. Uh, if those things are discussed, talked about, put in writing, everybody knows what to expect, and, and, and uh, it, it keeps uh, some very sad family issues uh, from airing out at the time of someone's death and just adds to a whole new series of, of grievous uh, situations. So I know that would be very gratifying, as you said, for somebody to come in. You're absolutely right on that. We encourage a family meeting. Um, a lot of older clients keep keep everything close to the vest, don't want anyone to know what they have, even their kids and so forth, and let them sometimes they say, we'll just let them fight over it afterwards. We We encourage them to have a family meeting, if they're leaving money and trust for someone or this child gets maybe more or this grandchild, there, there's reasons for that. And it would, you know, rather than trying to figure that out after death, um, it is so much easier to, to have that meeting, discuss those reasons, and have everyone on the same page. It's also a little bit of a plug back to the living trust because it's much more private. Yes, it doesn't go through public probate. It keeps everything private, so those people are able to accomplish those things with that trust. Yes, trust the, the trust document is very flexible. You can put uh, a lot of things in there. Once again, let me give my email. It's simply steverussell.org at gmail.com. If you mention widows, widows' survival, or David's name or anything, I'll uh, con- uh, make sure you get contact with the book if you'd like a copy. Uh, or also, uh, uh, you'd want to speak with David. We can arrange that. I want to, before we close out, make sure that we, we give you that information. Again, steverussell.org at gmail.com. We're kind of to a place now in this last segment i'm so appreciative of david being here and the things that he shared but um they are just last minute things we might have overlooked or real real pitfalls uh that people can fall into and uh what's that old saying that uh, the road uh, a good road or, or something was paved with good, good intentions. intentions yeah and <laughs> and some of those things those pitfalls can can have those good intention signs but they're not so close us out by by bringing some final warnings to that and and encouraging folks to get this type of planning done all right i think one pothole in the road that's paved with good intentions may be uh when it comes to helping family members uh, you know, a widow might receive a large life insurance check um, or may have funds and family members may come to them and want to borrow money or, or want money for this uh, purpose or that. So, in, you know, in, in my situation, we have four children and we have five grandchildren and we, we help them. Uh, we, we want to. Uh, we have all our lives, and um, one thing we've learned is, uh, you know, once they're they've graduated from college and gotten married and have kids, we still want to help them. Mm-hmm. There, so uh, we're able to do that, fortunately. But we tell our clients that our first priority is not your kids and not your grandkids. Our first priority is to take care of you, mm-hmm. and that's what we that's what we attempt to do. And they're 
first priority should be to take care of themselves. So that includes not only uh, their health and their emotional well-being, but also their finances. So no matter how great the need is when someone uh, asks, asks you for money, if it's going to jeopardize your financial future, the, the answer ought to be no. No, I'm sorry. We can't grant, grant that request. On more than one occasion, a lot of, a lot of clients, especially uh, widows, have a really hard time of saying no if somebody asks them for money, especially their children or family members. So on more than one occasion, uh, I've called or Randy has called or we've written letters to the, to the client's child or the other family member that's requesting money, and, and we tell them, um, I'm sorry, but it's not in your mother's best interest at this time. Uh, for her to grant that request. And if you would like, you direct any future requests to our office. So that way, you know, the client's not saying no. Mm -hmm. They're saying, you know, my financial advisor said, I I just don't have the money at this time. Would you mind just giving him a call? So it takes that burden off of them. And the, the book has several great examples of clients that this has happened to, both good and bad. So let me give you four quick um, rules or guidelines to help you make that that decision. First off, never lend money, at least not to family members or friends. The reason is, is it causes amnesia. The closer the friend or the family member, the greater the amnesia. So if you, if, if the loan payment's not made or it's late, it causes strife, and you just don't want that with right. a friend or a family member. So if you have the money, I'm not saying don't give it to them, but treat it as a gift. Hmm. Give it to them. If they don't pay it back, hey, you, you gave it to them. You, didn't, you don't expect it to be repaid. Secondly, never co-sign a note. Hmm. If you co-sign a note, you're on the hook for, and liable for the entire amount of that note. Right. So effectively, you're pledging all your assets to pay the bank back. You don't expect to, but again, the book has some examples of that. And not pretty. Fourth or thirdly, determine if that request is for needs or wants. You know, a grandchild may need a car, but he doesn't need the red Corvette convertible. Right. It's transportation. Right. So make that determination. And then lastly, uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "In the multitude of counselors there is wisdom." So seek seek godly counsel from friends, family members, a pastor, financial advisor or someone. So hopefully uh, that's a pitfall that, that comes about every now and then, and hopefully those uh, guidelines will help. And, and they're all, actually there's a few more listed in the book. Very good. David, it's been a pleasure having you here, and I uh, appreciate your advice coming from a Christian man uh, to other Christians. We know that the first thing we can do to love ourselves is, and to love others is to take care of our financial uh, affairs in such a way that they are blessings that God intended them to be to our families, to our friends, and to the world, and to the mission of Christ. We're closing out today. Hope you'll stay with us and uh, be with us next week when we come back with Christian Living Today. This is your host, Steve Russell. Thanks for being here. Steve Russell returns next week at the same time discussing how renewed lives can make a difference in a broken world. Join us again for Christian Living that counts.